All right. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 27, please. The message is entitled Passion Week Friday. This is part four. Um, We'll be using Matthew as our primary text, Matthew 27 from 34 to 44. So we are continuing our series on the Passion Week, um, taking each event during the last week of the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in their order. This is the 14th year. Again, Matthew will be our primary text, and then we'll supplement it with Mark, Luke, and at times John when it's allowable. Last year, we examined the third message of the sixth day of Passion Week Friday, consisting of these three things. When Jesus, um, Jesus was mocked by the soldiers uh, in uh, Matthew 27, 27 to 31, as he was being interrogated and condemned. Then Jesus' betrayer committed suicide, and we saw that in Matthew 27, 3 through 10. And then also Jesus was led to be crucified in Matthew 27, 31 to 34. And that's where we left off. Now, we want to continue with the fourth message of the sixth day of Passion Week, and it is Friday, by looking at the next three events at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they are as follows. First, Jesus was crucified with two thieves. We're going to see this in Matthew 27, 35 through 36. Then we're going to look at Jesus was identified as king of the Jews in Matthew 27, 37. And then third and last, Jesus was mocked by all the people. In Matthew 27, 39 through 44. And we will supplement, compare, add, and that on the other synoptic gospels. Let's begin here with Jesus was crucified with two thieves. Notice um, Matthew 27, 35 to 36. Um, Jesus, in verse 35, has arrived at Golgotha, or Golgotha, whichever you want to pronounce it, to be crucified. Matthew focuses, notice, on the act of crucifixion of Jesus. Then they crucified him. Mark focuses on the act also, and when they crucified him in Mark 15, 24. Luke and John focus on the location of the crucifixion. Luke says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, Luke 23, 33, Calvary means calvario, means skull, same thing. John says, where they crucified him called Golgotha in the Hebrew, in John 19, 18, and 17. The crucifixion took place between verse 34 and 35 here of Matthew's gospel of this chapter. Crucifixion, as you know, was invented by the Carthaginians, refined by the Persians, and perfected by the Romans. It was one of the most excruciating and horrible, cruelest way to put men to death, painful beyond imagination, suffering. You could last for days. Ultimately, you would suffocate, unable to prop yourself up from sitting on the seat or pushing them on your feet, and you would just suffocate, unable to take in breath. Many times, as you know, to quicken the death, they would break the legs of the, of the men 
and they wouldn't be able to support themselves and push themselves up. Now, the four Gospels tell us that two other men were crucified with Jesus. All four of them do. Not only Matthew, the other three. Three are synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is not. John has written very specifically to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, in Matthew and Mark, they record this after the account of the plaque over the head of Jesus. Here in Matthew 27, 38, and then Mark 15, 27, and 28. The two robbers, Matthew says, were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. Mark 15, 27 says, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on the right, the other on the left. The word robber is used there, it means plunderer. These guys were bad dudes. Different phrases are used for them. Mark gives the prophetic fulfillment, by the way, um, in the next verse. Uh, Mark fifteen twenty eight says, So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors, quoting Isaiah 53, 12. Even as Jesus is on the cross, prophecy is being fulfilled. Luke and John place it at the same time as Jesus in John, uh, Luke 23, and in John 19, uh, 18. Luke puts it this way. He says, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, Luke 23, 33. Word criminal means malefactor, evildoer, plunder, malefactor, evildoer. John 19.18 says, And the two others with him, one on the other side, Jesus in the center. John alone is the one that says that Jesus was in the center. He uses that word between the two. And so as you put all the three synoptics and some supplement material from John at times, you get a better picture of all that went on. No one gives all the information. But it's kind of like a puzzle. You put the pictures, pieces together and it starts making a better sense than one alone. Now, the rest of verse 35 here, Matthew 27, Jesus was constantly fulfilling prophecy even as he was being crucified. Notice Matthew describes the event involving the garments Jesus wore to the cross. He declared what they were doing. And they divided his garments. He detailed how they were doing it, casting lots. And he depicted the very event as prophetic again, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Mark and Luke confirm this prophecy. Mark says, in Mark fifteen twenty four, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. So they're literally a form of gambling to see who gets what. Luke twenty three thirty four, or twenty three thirty yeah twenty three thirty four says, and they divided his garment and cast lots. The association, but they say they're a little different. Now, Luke again places the casting of the lots right after 
the first saying from the cross. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. So as you read them, you kind of get a little sense of the location and how it all fits together. Mark 15, 25 is the only one that tells us the time of day. Nine in the morning. Listen. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. Nine o'clock in the morning. That's when it begins. The first three saints are in the first three hours. The last four you find after 12 o'clock. Before he gives up his last. Now John... In John 23, verse 23 and 24, records the dividing of the garments following the objection by the Jews against Pilate's inscription on the plaque, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And he adds the details. In John 23, 23, John identifies the man. Listen. And there were four Roman soldiers, but five common articles were worn. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. So John identifies for us who these men are. The Roman soldiers. There's four of them, but there's five articles. You had the shoes, the turban, the girdle, the outward robe. And the tunic of the common Jew. There was one extra article. To each soldier apart and also the tunic now. The tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. Verse 23 says. So they didn't want to ruin it or rip it. So they're casting lots for that very last article. Someone walked away with two articles. The rest walked away with one. You see the heartlessness of these soldiers. They're callous. They're seasoned. As people are suffering such on the cross. And they have the wholeheartedness to be drinking wine as we'll see. And casting lots over the small things that are left behind without any conviction, without any remorse, anything. It's amazing, the cruelty of men. Now, John 19, 24 quotes their very words. Listen. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, who it shall be. John confirms the prophetic nature. That the scriptures might be fulfilled, which say, they divided my garments among them, And for my clothing, they cast lots. The prophecy is found in Psalm 22, 18. Matthew's favorite phrase, as we read over, this was done in fulfillment of, and the scriptures quote it. Now, John declared the actions of the soldiers corresponding to the prophecy. Listen to his words. Therefore, the soldiers did these things connected to the prophecy. Not that God forced them to do it, but that God knows all things. Who? 
and what is involved by the choice, but not that God compels them to do so. So prophecy is merely announcing what will be done, at times even by the person by name. But it doesn't mean that God forced them. It only says that God knew who was going to be. Because if God forces someone by prophecy to do the evil, how can God judge the man or the woman for doing the evil? So prophecy does not force the hand of man. Prophecy only announces the actions of a man or a woman. That's all it does. Now, Matthew and Mark add something important here. In Matthew twenty five thirty six, regarding the soldiers, it says, sitting down, they kept watch over there. This was to ensure that no one would try to um, rescue or deliver the crucified individual, family members, friends, or whatever. As the, we see, these two were um, a group of malefactors that they were probably in cahoot with uh, Barabbas. Barabbas should have been crucified where Jesus was. That's who was supposed to be crucified. Jesus, the Pilate gave the choice. Barabbas, we've seen this already in past studies, or Jesus. They chose Jesus. Now, this was to ensure again that no one rescued or delivered them. And this was their duty to witness the death of condemned men. This was to remind everyone and anyone looking on, that you would not dare to raise your hand against Rome. Rome used this as a very effective tool of intimidation to keep people under their thumb. Now regarding the spectators, Luke twenty-three thirty-five says, And the people stood looking on, those who hated Jesus and those who loved Jesus. Dr. J.P. Free, in his book, Archaeology and the Bible History, declared about the distinct prophecies fulfilled in the Old Testament by Jesus and the chance of probability recording 332 of them. It would be 1 in 84 with 97 zeros after it. So much for coincidence. Or that the Bible is just a book like any other religious book. Name me one book that has prophecy apart from the Bible. Not one. The crucifixion of Jesus was not for himself, but for sinners. It's very clear as we read the Gospels. Jesus was the seed of the woman, virgin born, as God became incarnate. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall bear his child. You should call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 23 quotes that as a fulfillment of Isaiah, of Genesis. Jesus, as you know, was the Lamb of God who would take the sins away from the world, as John the Baptist pointed in John 1, 29, when his disciples were aware of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus became literal sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And as all this is happening, the world is just oblivious to it except for a small number of people at this point. The world is going on. 
Jesus satisfied the demands of the Father being the propitiation for our sins, and not ours alone, but the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. The prophecies being fulfilled were many, as we said. Listen to Isaiah 53, 10. Isaiah says Jesus became our sin offering, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put on him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. The outcome of his suffering was the salvation of man. Isaiah goes on um, to say um, that Jesus would be our justifier. He would justify us for just justification. He shall see the labor of his soul and he and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquity isaiah 57:11 isaiah 53:12 says that jesus would be included with the transgressors interceding for them listen therefore i will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered, here it is, with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many and made an intercession for the transgressors. He was crucified with two malefactors who were truly guilty. He was not. So Jesus was crucified between these two thieves. What a picture. What a contrast. What an evidence of God's love for us. Secondly, we see Jesus was identified as king of the Jews here in Matthew 27, 37. Jesus was charged for claiming to be the king of the Jews. Matthew and Mark both record the same thing. Listen to Matthew. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The plural pronoun they refers to the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus Christ. Matthew says the plaque was over his head. Jesus was charged by the Jews with being a false messiah, passing himself as the king of the Jews. Matthew 38 at this point says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. Those who were guilty and Jesus who was not. Those who were false altogether and the other who could do nothing but tell truth. Mark fifteen twenty six says basically the same thing and the inscription of the accusation was written above the king of the Jews. He just has the word inscription from, is the word epigraphic, graphic from graphite to write, epi, the intensiveness to write upon. Mark, like Matthew at this point, again places the two thieves as we've seen. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on the right, the other on the left. 
So you get a complete picture of all that's going on with these different details that are happening in the crucifixion. Luke provides additional information at this point about the inscription in Luke 23, 38. He says, here he confirms both Matthew and Mark in two things. The writing and an inscription also was written over his head. And the accusation, this is the king of the Jews. But he adds that the accusation against Jesus was written in letters of three languages on the plaque. No one else tells us, except for John also, but the first two don't. In Greek, the common cultural and educated language. In Latin, the official Roman language. And in Hebrew, the language of the country and religion. All three languages. For everybody to pass by, they can read it whatever language they have. Jesus was charged claiming to be king of the Jews by Pilate to spite the Jews. That's why he did it. We have to go over to John to get this information. We don't get it here. In John 19, verse 19 and 22, John informs us who ordered the writing of the title in verse 19. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Nazareth. You can't mistake him with Jesus. That's where he was from. It was a prophecy of the branch of David. In John 19, 12, you remember from then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So they tightened the screws down on Pilate. Pilate was already in hot water with Rome, as we've seen in the past studies. He had done some bad things, made some wrong decisions, and he was ready to get cut loose. And, and they said, if you, that you're, and, and they pressured him to go along with their shenanigans. John 19, 7 through 8, when Pilate said he found no fault in Jesus, the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Make no mistake why the Jews wanted him crucified, because Jesus said he was the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. But he's cornered, remember? Remember the trial of Jesus in Matthew 27, 17, and 18. Says, Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? I mean, he kept trying to let him go. Barabbas, or Jesus, who was called Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. They envied Jesus. He was what they weren't. And they were rejecting who he was. And in verse 19 of Matthew 27, it says, 
And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Man, he's getting it from the Jews. He's getting warned from his wife. He's got Rome hanging over his head. And he has this Jew before him who says he's the son of God. Wow. Under pressure. The objection to the writing, the title, was quickly voiced by the Jews. John 19, 20 through 22 says, they were outraged at the plaque. It says, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. They just were objecting to it. Verse 21, they attempted to command Pilate to change the plaque. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. They had their nose rubbed in their manipulation of their own situation as they tried to force Pilate to crucify and he allowed himself to be forced. And so Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. In your face, I'm not changing it. Wow. How many people so blinded by you fill in the blank. Drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, whatever it may be. Refusing to turn from their sin have estranged and aligned, alienated themselves from um, those who love them and want to help them so much, destroying their lives. We see it every day in our society, more today than ever before. This is a great picture of sinners closing their eyes and refusing to be helped by the love of God by denying their own wretchedness and denying the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the sin that blinds us. It's the sin that destroys us. You know, it's like you driving down the street and there's a light over your head. It illuminates so you don't trip or crash or whatever. But if the light is shining right in your eyes, that same light can blind you, right? What blinds us is the very same light of the gospel when there's a hardness of heart. The God of this world has blinded those lest the light of the glorious gospel could shine upon them. But it's an unwillingness from the heart of individuals. The evidence in the gospels provides convincing evidence that Jesus was in fact the king of the Jews. Let me give you some of that. You remember the wise men that came from Persia, <laughs> that area where Daniel was. Matthew 2, it says, where, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, we don't know how many wise men there were. It doesn't say three. 
Could have been 10. Never gives us the number. How they got the three, I don't know. Then it says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, meaning Pilate. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And so Jesus said to him, It is as you say, Matthew 27, 11, Mark 15, 2, Luke 23, 3, John 23, 33. People are always asking, Where did Jesus say he was God? Are you kidding me? When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put on his head and a reed on his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-nine. Now, they didn't believe he was, but he was. That's the fact. The evidence that he was addressed as such is all over. Mark 59 says... But Pilate answered, Do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews? <laughs> Mark fifteen twelve. Pilate answered and said to them, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? Mark fifteen eighteen, And they began to salute him, the, the soldiers, the centurions, when they um, beat him and scourged him. Hail, king of the Jews. John eighteen thirty nine. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? John 19.3 Then they said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hand. 19.14 of John. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. You see, the kingdom of God is presented in the Old Testament as eternal, yet having temporal aspects at the same time. God is the eternal one who rules at all times as supremely and absolutely as ruler in direct authority from eternity and will do so unto all eternity. Yet within the eternal nature of the kingdom, we see the temporal kingdom of man through God's sovereignty, indirectly by appointed sovereigns, governors, kings, and whatever. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel 2, God gives the empires of the world to come to um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, Babylon, Medo-Persia, arms and, of silver. Uh, Greece, belly of brass, legs of iron, Rome, the last ten nation confederacy of iron and clay, democracy with dictatorship, iron and clay don't mix, the, the empire of the Antichrist. So God is the one that's supreme and sovereign, but then he works things out through men here on earth. There's a temporal aspect. The word kingdom appears 191 times in the Old Testament. Not all refer to the kingdom of God, but the majority of them do. The kingdom of God in the New Testament is presented in the same way in the first coming, announced the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus Christ offered a theocracy as he announced the kingdom of God, a term that the Jews would understand because they were waiting for God's kingdom. They saw the present age and the age to come, the millennial kingdom. 
The word kingdom in the New Testament refers to a royal power, kingship, and dominion appearing 162 times in the New Testament. Matthew uses the word more than any other writer, 54 times. This should be of no surprise since Matthew portrays Jesus as the king of the Jews in his gospel. It was God's offer to man to have God rule over their lives through repentance. As John the Baptist proclaimed in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 3, 2. After John was put in prison, you remember, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 4, 17. Jesus said the following about the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near you, Luke 10, 9. The kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God is confirmed by John that Jesus was Messiah and the gospels announced and was announcing the arrival of the kingdom accompanied by miracles. In Matthew eleven three through 6, this is when John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or do we look to another? The key was the proclamation of the, king, of the gospel. What accompanies it, miracles. But the key was they get to, they're getting the gospel priest of the kingdom. Now the Jews understood the term of the kingdom of God and were anticipating with great expectation a literal restoration of the Davidic throne and the kingdom with the personal reigning of the Messiah. They were expecting that. You remember that the disciples and apostles understood this as James and John asked Jesus to sit on the right hand and left hand in his glory in Mark 10, 35 through 45. In fact, they sent their mommy along to put in a good word. Luke says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, Luke 19, 11. So as James and John are asking this, they're coming from Caesarea Philippi up in the, Mediter- up in the north, uh, just um, north of, um, right at the foot of Mount Hermon. And they're coming down six months under the shadow of the cross, and they're asking this, and they're going towards Jerusalem because they believe that Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem, knock off Rome, and set up the kingdom. That's why they petitioned the right and the left hand in his glory. After the resurrection, Jesus spoke for 40 days to his disciples about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. At which time they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? To Israel. Acts 1, 3, and 6. They still didn't get it. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost that they understood there would be a church age. The age of grace. This was due to the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. The kingdom of God was present but yet to come in its ultimate fulfillment. 
The first advent of the Messiah was the short-term fulfillment. The second advent would be the long-term fulfillment. And we see this through prophecy many times. Listen to John. He tells us that he is in the kingdom in Revelation 1.9. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The kingdom is present, yet to come. Kind of an eclipse. It, when Jesus came, it hit. And it's been 2,000 years, and it's been moving towards the full eclipse will come when Jesus returns at the second coming and sets up the kingdom. It's present and yet to come. John recorded the arrival of the kingdom. Listen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, Revelation eleven fifteen. That's at the end of the seven years as we come back with him, his bride, to fight the battle of Armageddon and set up the kingdom. Jesus was identified as king of the Jews. Right here in his death. Notice thirdly. Matthew 39 to 44 here, chapter 27. Jesus was mocked by all the people. In 39 and 40, Jesus was um, taunted by the common people first. Matthew records both their physical insult and their words the people were vicious, notice, with their words towards Jesus. Verse 39 of Matthew 27. And those who passed by blasphemed him. The word blaspheme, as you know, it means to speak reproachfully. Evil. To speak evil, to rail, to revile a person. Having no cause, having no evidence. The people, notice, were disrespectful to Jesus also, physically demonstrating by wagging their heads. The word wagging simply means to move excitedly around. They were wagging their heads, indicating their disgust and outrage at his person for the claims that he made. It's like when you, you, you warn your child about not doing something they do, and you go... I, 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 don't, I don't, you know, you, you're demonstrating, you know, you just, you're wagging your head. How could you? Same thing. The people were disrespectful in their wagging of their heads. The people ridiculed Jesus. Notice verse 40. Based on their words. They, they declared, misunderstanding his words about the resurrection. Listen, and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Because Jesus spoke about destroying the temple. They thought that it was a temple of Herod there. Speaking about his body. 
Also misunderstanding, he was dying for their sins. He says, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Well, he was the son of God, but he was also the last Adam dying in the place of man. And that's why he couldn't come down. Mark 15, 29 through 30 says about the same thing with a few exceptions. He confirms the blasphemy and wagging of their heads in verse 29 of Mark 15. But he adds the expression, aha. You read that in scripture. An interjection of mocking surprise. Aha. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days. In other words, yeah, right. Sarcastically. He has the words, save yourself and come down from the cross again. Luca simply tells us, and the people stood looking on. That's all Luke says. Some indifferent. Some hostility, and yet others in horror and lamentation for Jesus. Next, Jesus was taunted by the leaders, first the common people, now the leaders. Matthew twenty-seven forty-one to 43. Notice Matthew indicates in verse 41 and 42, the individual's and their words. The religious, legal, and social leaders are indicated. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and the elders, said. The word mocking means to play with or trifle with. This is a spirit and an attitude of viciousness and cruelty. They ridicule his ability to save sinners. He saved others. These are the leaders. We've already gone through the common people. This is the leaders. Himself, he cannot save, verse 42. Exactly why he would not come down. He was in the process of saving others. They challenged his kingship to believe in him. If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. Verse 42 at the end. They made fun of his claim to be the son of God. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. And he said, I am the son of God. Mark's account is much briefer than Matthew's. In Mark 15, 31 and 32, he mentions only two groups of leaders. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes. He only mentions two. He recorded their repeated blasphemous words. He saved others himself. He cannot save. So this was the the common, you know, it's, you know how people are when you're in a, in a, in a, in a tumult, you're in, in a crowd, and, and somebody says something, people repeat it, and this, and, and, you know, and people just, they just 
work and build off each other. It's amazing what people will do in a crowd that they would never do standing alone. He also recorded their challenge to prove his kingship and he adds his messiahship in order to believe him. He says, let the Christ, Christos, title, deity, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. So they're not only rejecting the kingship of Jesus, but also his messiahship. Remember, he's king, priest, and prophet. No king in the Old Testament was ever all three. Kings sometimes were kings and prophets. Priests were sometimes priests and prophets. But no one person ever in the Old Testament occupied all three offices at the same time. That was reserved for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now Luke is the briefest of all three synoptic gospels. He records it with amazement. Listen to his words. But even the rulers with them sneered. That's it. One category. Rulers. He sneered. Three groups are boiled down to one. Rulers. The word sneered means to deride or taunt in a way to turn up your nose, to scoff at someone. It's an insult. Someone that you just look up, you know, like you're better. They're beneath you. He confirmed the challenge to the ability of Jesus to save by himself. They're saying in verse 35, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ. So you have different combinations of the same topic from different perspectives. By the way, he adds the chosen of God in verse 35 at the end. Eclectos. Or we get the word predestined or elect. Luke gives us now a perspective of taunt from the Roman soldier's perspective in Luke 23, 36 to 37. He is the only one to record the ridiculing of Jesus um, by the soldiers. They're mocking, you find again, Luke 23, 36. There their mocking was in insincerity of compassion. The words are, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. The sour wine was a mixture of sour wine or vinegar and water that the Roman soldiers were accustomed to drink. Uh, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-four. Now this is distinct from the one with gall that was given to the prisoners and those to be executed to ease the pain that we saw there in Matthew. So there's a clear distinction. This is regular wine that the Romans would drink. Now, 
They were fulfilling prophecy. Notice, they also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 69.21. Another prophecy being fulfilled. These Roman soldiers are oblivious to it. Because God knows the end from the beginning. God's not making them do this. He just knew they would do it. It's like you watching a, a rerun of a movie. You already know what's going to happen. You're not making them do what's going to happen. You just know what's going to happen. Even as Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, he was fulfilling prophecy again. God is omniscient, knowing all things before it happens. So there's no problem for him to indicate that. Now Luke reveals that the soldiers were no different than the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. He quotes their words and saying in verse 37 of Luke 23, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They equally challenge Jesus to prove his power as king of the Jews. Now they don't care that he's Messiah. They're not interested in that. They're Romans. They're interested in power. If you're a king... You should be able to get down. You should have that power. That's their perspective. The challenge was a cruel mockery in view of the helplessness of Jesus or any person. They requested proof of saving himself but it wasn't a serious expectation. If you would have done it, they would have freaked out. <laughs> they weren't expecting it. It's complete mockery. These soldiers were hard and seasoned, as I said. Witnessing many die by crucifixion, supervising countless of executions like these. Then Jesus was taunted. By the two thieves. We're going right down the line. Matthew 27, 44 helps us here. Matthew reveals the two criminals. Um, they joined in with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So in the same manner for the same topic. They also mocked Jesus by challenging him that he was king of Israel. The word reviled there in Matthew 27, 44, once again means to reproach or upbraid. And the spirit and attitude again is one of hostility and hatred. They also mocked Jesus by coming down from the cross. And if they did this, they would believe. That's the condition. Not realizing that he could have, but he would not. Abandon the cross. So it's not that he couldn't have, it's that he would not. Not believing he was the Savior. Mark fifteen thirty two is the shortest of the Synoptic Gospels. It records, even those who were crucified with him reviled him. The two malefactors simply identified as those who were crucified with him here. 
their audacity was in the fact that they reviled him, being criminals, true criminals. <laughs> who, who did they have to point fingers at? <laughs> Luke 23, 39-43 is the longest of the three synoptic Gospels, focusing on the individual words of the two thieves. In verse 39 of Luke 23, one continued to vent his hostility towards Jesus of the two. It says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He blasphemed, spoke evil reproachfully towards Jesus. The focus is on him being the Messiah. The Christ. The other, after having vented his hostility to Jesus, had changed a change of heart and confronted the first criminal or malefactor. In verse 40, it says, But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? Wow. The word rebuke means to charge him severely and sharply with his fault. The sharp rebuke was in his statement of not fearing God. In that, he also had been sentenced and been executed as a condemned criminal. The change of heart, notice, illuminated his understanding. Listen to his words. In verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. How did he know that? <laughs> he confessed and acknowledged their guilt and well-deserved sentence for their deeds. He confessed and acknowledged Jesus was innocent of any crime deserving of death. The greatest injustice that has ever been done on the face of this earth since man began was at Calvary. A truly innocent man was executed as he became the substitute for all of mankind. Wow. The words of the one thief and Jesus are recorded in verse 42 and 43. Notice in 42, the thief confessed his belief in whom Jesus was, the Savior of the world. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he, he listened to the first saying of intercession for the forgiveness of sins. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is about to declare the second saying to him. He heard the proclamation of forgiveness. That's all he heard. We have no other information about him. Jesus declared that he accepted his repentance for the forgiveness of his sins, declaring the second saying, 
from the cross. Listen. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise is a Persian word signifying a royal garden, a park. And then closely, uh, an enclosed uh, area there, uh, full of valuable things, um, often with um, um, all the luxuries of a garden. It's used for the Garden of Eden and the Septuagint. And the king would allow only those who he had desired to honor to allow them to enter and walk with him in that garden. Jesus taught in Luke 16 that Sheol, the Old Testament place where the departed spirits, was a twofold compartment, the place of comfort, the place of torment. The place of comfort is the bosom of Abraham, paradise. And uh, there, Jesus Christ declared that he, once he died, he descended to the lowest parts, and he scooped up after preaching to those who died in faith, and he took them to heaven, transferring paradise to the third heaven. Ephesians 4, 8 through 9 tells us, Colossians 2, 15, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4, he was caught up to the third heaven, paradise. 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20, he preached to those who were there. Colossians 2, 5, or 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8 says, the minute you die, you're instantly present with the Lord. See, the second saying from the cross is the assurance of salvation. I know so, not I hope so. But I know so. The second thing. Mockery of God is the result of a fault, a fatal blind spot. Um, prohibiting a person to see the reality of their condition before God. What is that? You're under the wrath of God. It obstructs us. Some of the most hostile and blasphemous words and deeds of mockery come from not unbelievers, but from those who profess themselves to be Christians, denying the virgin birth, denying the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, denying prophecy, denying the first and the second coming, redefining Christianity, Christians, Christ, the gospel, under the postmodern movement of the emerging church, many of them. Listen to Isaiah 8.20. To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to the word, it is because there is no light in them, the word of God. But there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord Jesus who bought them, and bring themselves swift destruction. Second Peter 2.1. Wow. You see, the question as we look at these three events for all of us, is do I believe who Jesus is? If you're not born again, you must ask yourself that question. The incarnation of God, God became man. John 1, 1, 1, 14, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. God became man. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, 1 John 1, 29, or John 1, 29, and John 4, 42 to the woman of Samaria. That's where he got that title. The only way, the only name, the only mediator, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Acts 4, 12, 1 Timothy 2, 5. If you don't believe in those things, then you cannot be saved and you cannot call yourself a Christian. Jesus was mocked by all the people. Here you have the three things that are stated. This is the fourth message of the sixth day 
of Passion Week Friday. The next three events at the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified with two thieves. Jesus was identified as king of the Jews and Jesus was mocked by all the people. A few more events to go. We should finish in about three, four years. Lord, thank you for your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. We just thank you, Lord. Lift every person to you. Your hand be upon them. Lord, there's anyone here who doesn't know you. Someone over the internet, Lord, that you would speak to them over the radio. And the Lord, they would open their heart to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You're over the internet. You can do it right where you're at. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved, the Bible says. Whoever calls the name of the Lord, they shall be saved by grace through faith. And so this is a prayer of repentance that you can ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and He's going to save you right now. This is your prayer to Him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. 